I stopped seeing big law as the financial security. I saw it as a financial liability that it would hold me back from making a lot of money. And now I make significantly more than I did practicing law. And every year it just keeps doubling and doubling and doubling. Welcome to the Get Clear with Crystal Ware podcast, the place where we get clear on our goals, own our worth, and learn to be the CEOs of our own lives. I'm your host, Crystal Ware, lawyer and former Fortune 500 corporate leader who found the confidence to say goodbye to a lucrative career and start my own business. Now I'm opening up the playbook and sharing everything I've learned to get you there faster. It may not be easy, but it will always be worth it because you are made for more. So put on your big girl pants, jump on board, and let's reach for the stars. Are you ready to get clear? Today, I have such an awesome guest. Olivia Vickzacharow. She is a former big law litigator, criminal defense attorney who pivoted to being a coach for lawyers. Lawyers are super stressed people and she turned that into the less stressed lawyer, mastermind and coaching. In addition to that, she is a certified life coach and works with lawyers who have experienced overwhelm and really want to focus in on their life and making things more manageable for themselves. In addition to that, she is the host of an awesome podcast called the Less Stressed Lawyer Podcast. And she is also a co-author of an amazing book called Networked, which came out with many other LinkedIn ladies during the pandemic, 20 different women lawyers, totally focused on networking and building during a global health crisis. And if you haven't read it, I highly recommend that book and jumping on LinkedIn to see what the networking is all about because the power of LinkedIn is immense. And Olivia has been right there through that all and building up through a pandemic. So welcome to the show, Olivia. We are so excited to have you. And we can't wait to hear all the great insights that you have and for you to share your story. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's start and jump in by telling us a little bit more about your experience. You went to law school, you practiced law. How did that go? Where did you end up? And what brought you to today being an amazing coach with the less stressed lawyer? Yeah. So I, not to give everyone like the full war and peace version, but I wanted to be a lawyer from like the time I was eight. I came up with that idea really early on. Uh, I used to have this really bizarre fascination with the Italian mafia. Being Italian myself, I just read a book about Al Capone when I was really young and like thought it was cool. And then I watched a docu-series or a documentary on I think the History Channel and it was about the five families in New York. And there was this attorney who represented one of the heads of the five families. I think it was like Vinny the Chin Gigante. And Rico indictments were coming down from everywhere. And the attorney told Vinny the Chin to walk around the streets of New York in a bathrobe and talk to himself to like pretend like he was insane and to fly under the FBI, FBI radar. And my takeaway at eight, I was precocious watching this was, oh my God, this is amazing. I want to be this lawyer person who helps the good guys stay away from the bad guys. And my mom was like, Jesus Christ, this is so backwards. This is like 
the mobsters are not the good guys. Like the FBI agents are not the bad guys. It's not a good thing that the lawyer helped them. And I'm like, nope, not growing out of this one. So I formed the decision pretty early on that I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney for the Italian mob. And that carried on all through middle school, high school, undergrad, and law school. So I feel like from the get-go, I always knew knew that I wanted to go to law school. And I got there. I worked... I was an evening student. I worked full-time at a criminal defense firm when I was in law school. And we did high-stakes felony trial work. It was amazing. It was like playing in the Super Bowl every day. I absolutely loved it. And I learned a really valuable lesson pretty early on that just because you're a great attorney doesn't mean you're a great business owner. So I worked for an incredible trial attorney, but he wasn't great at running the business side of his practice. And things were a little rocky. And I'm a single gal, so I got a little nervous and I wanted more income stability and security because he wouldn't always make payroll. And you'd eventually get paid, but like things were rocky. And I went out for on-campus interviews. It was like right at the time where it was my last opportunity to apply for OCIs. And I had never... I didn't even know the names of law firms or anything like that. All I'd ever wanted to do was criminal defense. And I went out and applied. And this is a really bad Godfather reference here. But like I got the offer I couldn't refuse from the best firm in the state of Michigan. And I decided to go there for a summer associate position. And then I got an offer to go there full time. And I ultimately ended up taking it. And after I took the bar exam, I started there. And in month two, I sort of like got my bearings, looked around and was like, how the heck did you end up here? This is not what you wanted for your life. And I knew almost instantaneously that I didn't want to be there. I didn't like the type of law that I was practicing. I wasn't doing criminal defense work. I was doing complex commercial civil litigation, which just bores me to tears. And really started to examine, like, how did this happen? I felt like I had a fork in the road moment where I could have stayed with my dream to be a criminal defense attorney. And I sort of abandoned that to pick money, prestige, and quote-unquote financial security. And started to think like, oh my goodness, like how are we going to get out of here? What are we going to do? And I came up with a harebrained scheme. I was pretty delusional at the time. I'm always, I'm like so grateful that I was a little delusional because otherwise I'd probably still be in big law. But I started listening to podcasts and I got the idea that I was going to start my own business. I've always been entrepreneurial and I wanted to start my own business while I was working full-time in big law, like 70 hours a week. And I was going to build the business, which is laughable now because I know what it takes to build a successful business. and That's a full-time job and then some. But I was going to start a business, bankroll my salary, and then go back to work for my former boss doing the work that I liked, just not having to rely on him for a paycheck was my game plan. Now, I also worked there 70 hours a week. So where I was coming up with all of this extra time that I was going to be able to do all of these things, I'm not sure. But I started binge listening to podcasts and I listened to an interview with one woman who had had a very similar story to me. She kind of ended up in corporate America for all the wrong reasons, money, prestige, security, other people's opinions of like what the responsible thing was to do. And 
she had ultimately left corporate America and started her own business and was making multiple seven figures. And I was like, that, that's what I want to do. That sounds amazing. How do you do that? And she explained that she had worked with a life coach. And I'd never heard that term before. And she said, my coach doesn't work with anyone one-on-one anymore, but she has the best podcast. It's called the Life Coach School Podcast with Brooke Castillo. And I said, I probably should go give that a listen. So I went on over and the first episode I listened to, I have this theory that like the message you need to hear has a way of finding you so long as you have your ears open to pick up on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the first episode that I listened to, it's like this woman recorded it for me. I was very much in a state of like victimhood and a lot of blame. I had a whole story about how I was forced to take this job in big law and that no one that in my life was supporting my decision and my dream to be a criminal defense attorney. And none of that was actually true. I was choosing all of these all of these decisions, all of these actions that I was taking. But I really did feel forced into this job at the time. That was the narrative that I was telling myself. And the episode that I listened to was this coach, Brooke, saying everything you have in your life and everything you don't have in your life is the result of a choice you've made. And then she went so far as to say that job you hate going to every day, you chose it. And I was like, what? No, I didn't. And she's like, you did. And the kicker is you keep choosing it every single day. I feel like I'm getting goosebumps and I'm sure that everybody out there listening is also getting goosebumps because it's the choices. I just want to highlight that. And I know you have more to say and we're going to come back to that. But choices, choices. I'm just, I'm getting so many goosebumps, Olivia. And it was a huge wake up call for me. Now, what I think is so cool about that is once you realize you're making the choice, you get access to the question, why? Right? Because when you don't think it's a choice, you can't get clear on your reasonings because you think your life's just happening to you and it's outside of your control. Once you really wake up to the fact that you're making a decision, you're actively choosing your current situation, you get access to the question, why? And then you get to find out, do I like my reasons for making this choice? So when I woke up and realized I was making a choice and choosing this job every single day, and it's wild when you start to play out all the choices you make, like you wake up in the morning, you get out of bed, you take a shower, you get dressed, you put on a Navy suit and you know, nude heels, you get in your car, you drive to the office, you drive into the parking garage, you park your car, you get out of it, you go into the elevator, you go into your office. Like there's 30 choices every morning just to get you from your house to work. So you're actively choosing this life, whether it feels like you are or not. And becoming aware of that was so transformational to me because when I asked myself, why are you choosing this? I hated my reasons. So originally I chose it because I cared more about what other people thought than I did following my dream. And I was still choosing it every day, not liking it because I didn't want people to think that I couldn't hack it. So it was always about other people's opinions. And when that's the case, you really start to abandon what you want for the sake of other people's approval, that's a recipe for disaster. And I, I started to see the writing on the wall, like, oh, I'll always be unhappy if I keep making decisions this way. Mm-hmm. So 
I realized that this woman, this coach had a thing or two to teach me and I started binge listening to her podcast. I always tell people a podcast episode changed my life. And whether that sounds like flip or not, I really do mean it. I dove headfirst into these coaching concepts. And I don't know that I had the terminology at the time, but I learned that I was a horrific people pleaser and a perfectionist. And I started to understand how that tied in with my habit of procrastination and just seeing all the different ways that these habits, these behaviors were negatively impacting my life, leading me with a result or leaving me with a result that I didn't love. And I started to implement and learn the things that she would teach. And then I started looking around and I was like, everyone else is like this too. Everyone else struggles with this stuff, caring too much about what other people think, doing things and martyring themselves for other people's approval, people pleasing, avoiding guilt and worry, you know, procrastination, indulging in perfectionism, not taking action. I started to see it everywhere. People feeling overwhelmed and anxious and stressed and frustrated and disappointed and discouraged. And I just felt like I had found like the secret to the universe. I still feel that way. So I decided to help other people and share what I had learned. So I got certified as a life coach in 2018. As soon as I got certified, I quit my big law job. I did go back to work at the criminal defense firm temporarily for a little less than a year. And then I started my own business and went out on my own shortly before the pandemic hit. And it's been... uh, I don't know if downhill or uphill is the right... Like It's been easier ever since, but it's been... you know Everything's been uphill as far as like better ever since. Yeah. Well, and I noticed something in that. um, And you can tell me if this is accurate because I always think, okay, if we go back and look at what we wanted to be as kids and what you know, our motivations might've been totally different, may not have been really clear for us, of course, because we're children. Yeah. Um, But even though yours may have been slightly skewed on the way you wanted to go about it and helping (laughs) mafiosos, but it sounds to me like you really wanted to help people. Yeah. And the vehicle, the vessel for that was going to become a lawyer, which is exactly the same as me. That's the reason I went to law school. I didn't, even have the specific idea of my in my head that I wanted to do criminal defense or you know um, I just wanted to help people and I thought that the best way for me to do that was in litigation but I wasn't married to this like image of what I was going to do um, but you're still meeting the ultimate goal of what I think you wanted to do and I think that's also where people struggle is they they get married to an idea of what it is they want to do and don't see that the The basic idea can come about in many different opportunities and other ways, which may better align with your goals in life. Um, So I just wanted to point that out because I think it's pretty clear that you wanted to help people and that's exactly what you're doing now. It's just in a different way. I tell people that all the time that I went to law school to help people and I actually, for the first time, feel like I do that now. Where, I mean, anyone who knows enough about the criminal justice system you're doing mitigation work at that point. Like things have already gone kind of south if you're in court and someone's facing criminal charges. So I really feel like I make the impact in the most meaningful way that I possibly can in the work that I do now. One of my my business coach, her name's Stacy Bayman. She also says, uh, I learned a lot about getting my business off the ground from her. And one of the things she says in the beginning, because you're building this new self-concept 
it's a different identity that you have Mm -hmm. to step into and create for yourself. And she always tells people, she's like, you were probably a coach at your last job, just without the job title, right? And when I started to look for that, I was the office that everyone else would come into and like vent about stuff or get advice or want to talk a problem through. That was me. It was like an open door. There was always someone across the desk for me sitting in, you know, those chairs in front of in front of your desk. So I definitely relate to that. I was a coach at my last job. I just didn't have that official title yet. Yep, and that's the way it just works out. So I wanted to go back and also talk about, you know, because I think a lot of people um, that are struggling and 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 want to think about where where is my life going to go? What should I do? Um, I'm unhappy. I'm unsatisfied. I'm not loving the life and career that I currently have. Um, look, a lot of people, especially in middle management, lawyers, law firms, whether in house or at a firm, I don't call it golden handcuffs. Because I don't think, you know, most of us are at that million dollar plus point, but I call it silver handcuffs. I like that. Okay. Did you also, because, you know, if you're making a hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars a year, I mean, no matter what your spouse is doing, it's still something you got to consider. Like, that's not something to shirk and say, I'm going to just drop that. Where am I going from here? So while in a perfect world, we want to think that money doesn't matter, it's our ultimate happiness, it is really tricky. So where did that play a part in? Um, Because, you know, working in big law and the biggest law firm in in Detroit or in the state of Michigan, I'm sure that you had a nice salary as well. Was, did you feel how, how impactful was that on your decision making process? Yeah, honestly, huge. And in the opposite way that you might think. So one of the things that I'm most grateful for, for the two coaches that I've worked with, Brooke Castillo and Stacey Bayman, they're very open about how much money they make. And when I started listening to both of their podcasts and learning from them and learning about how they structured their businesses, how they set it up, they talk very openly about their income. And it started to create possibility for me that I could make more outside of working in big law. And I work with a ton of clients who are in big law. And one of their beliefs is I'll never make more money than this. And they're so petrified to leave because who wants to take a pay cut? Now, some people are willing to take a pay cut. I did it when I went back to practice criminal defense. Mm -hmm. I underestimated what that experience would be like. It's it's less pleasant than you think it would be because you grow accustomed to making a certain amount. But people often say to me, they're like, oh, it's so great that you stopped caring about the money in order to enable you to leave big law. I'm like, oh, you're confused about me. That is not what happened. Like, I definitely cared about the money. And I stopped seeing big law as the way to make the most of it. So I started to see these really powerful women making multiple seven figures, eight figures annually in their businesses. And I made good money. I definitely made six figures. Um, back when I was in big law, the starting associate salary was like 150, 160 in that range. I know it's in the twos now, but I mean, it was good money, especially for the Midwest. That was significantly more than any of the other larger firms in Detroit and much, much more than anything criminal law related. So it seemed like a lot, but I started to hold this possibility that I could become a coach and make millions of dollars. And I'm so, so grateful. I came from you know a 
conservative, not politically conservative, but a conservative middle class Midwestern family where you don't talk about money and that's really crass and very impolite. And I'm so grateful that these two women are bold enough to talk about how much money they make because had they not, I would probably still be working in a job that I hated, but it created enough inspiration and motivation for me to believe like, oh, if they can do it, I can probably do it. And that's what ultimately led me to leave. I stopped seeing big law as the financial security. I saw it as a financial liability that it would hold me back from making a lot of money. And now I make significantly more than I did practicing law. And every year it just keeps doubling and doubling and doubling, which is so fun. Well, kudos to you on that on many fronts. But I would like, you know, everybody to understand that it, it, the door opener you mentioned for me and talking about money and salary, and that's something else I really love coaching women on and just talking about uh, is knowing, owning your worth and talking about what your skills are worth and how you can maximize getting what you are. You know, business ownership is not for everybody. And so how can you feel valued where you are in a corporate world at a law firm or whatever it is? Um, that's the starting point. But if people are not talking about it, where do you go from there? And for me, the opening was seeing that the top firms, when you're in law school, they all publish their rates. It made it way easier to think about or talk about because you knew what your friend that was going so-and-so places. I, I did not have a big law um, offer. so But I knew the people that did what, what they were getting. And so then it was kind of easy to waterfall down to say, okay, the second tier, the third tier, this is what people are kind of making. And then it's not really that hard unless you're a true massive producer at your law firm. It's not really hard to calculate then in 10 years, what are you making? You know, or where should you kind of be in the sphere? Um, and I think similar situation, super working class family for myself. I don't even know, you know, maybe we're barely middle class at some point. Um, my dad worked his way out of that, you didn't talk about money at all or salaries. I mean, when I started asking around um, my dad around his salary to try to help actually engage him to push himself forward, he was like, oh, and, and it took him years to get comfortable to talk to me about it. Um, and then when he retired, I was like, dad, you just need to tell me. You need to tell me how much you have. So I know like, if I need to help you plan, da, 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 da. And then when he told me, I was like, okay, dad, why are you, why are you so worried about money? You got plenty of money. Um, but it's just that whole culture around that. And I think if we don't talk about it, um, where can we go from there? Uh, and so that's excellent. I, I'm so glad that you had that inspiration and that other people, um, you know, shared. I can tell you, I'm a, I'm a binge um, listener to many podcasts and I love when they share, you know, what they're kind of, revenue for the year is, whether it was a product-based, coaching-based or whatever, it just gives you a frame of reference of like, if I put this effort in, where can I go from here? It's just a good frame of reference. I mean, we can't hold it to ourselves, but it can inform our goals, which is also really important. Um, so yeah, that's really interesting that it wasn't the salary that necessarily held you back. It was the salary that propelled you forward. Yeah. So that's amazing. And so tell us a little bit more, um, cause I'm sure that there are some people listening that are thinking about entrepreneurship, um, you know, that may, it may be opening a window in their minds of 
you know, if I'm not really happy in the corporate sphere, how do I make life my own? How did you make that pivot? How did it start on the business front and kind of, you know, give us the kind of process that you went through um, other than, you know, going back to your criminal defense job and then um, building up on the side? Like what was kind of the business aspects that people should think about um, when they're getting started? So the first thing that I always tell people, and I am a zealous advocate of this belief, of this practice, which is do not take advice from anyone who has not done what you want to do. So you're going to have a lot of negative Nellies and naysayers surrounding you and their opinions are irrelevant if they have not done what you are attempting or interested in doing. So I made a rule very early on. I would only take advice, coaching, or guidance from people who had done exactly what I was trying to do. My parents were on very good terms now, but they're very honest. They were extremely unsupportive of my decision to make this transition. And I get it. They were very scared. They like don't know what coaching is. They are very traditional. Like you work a nine to five, which is funny. My dad's self-employed. So it shouldn't come as a shocker that like maybe your daughter would also want to be self-employed, but they thought that I had a really prestigious job that was very secure and that I should just be grateful for it. So the first thing that you want to make sure you do is to not listen to people who haven't done what you want to do. From there, you have to... This is not always easy for us lawyers who think we know a thing or two about a lot of things or two. But I had to admit, like, what don't I know? And I needed to learn it. So you have to start seeking out resources in order to fill in the lack of knowledge you might have. I think this is a really important area to practice constraint in because there are a lot of different voices in the entrepreneurship space. And they're going to tell you a lot of different competing things. There's no right way, one right way to build a business. There are a lot of different ways. Where you'll get yourself in trouble is when you're listening to 40 different people or 15 different people, and they're all telling you different stuff, you'll just get really overwhelmed. So for me, I listened to Gary Vaynerchuk and then my two main coaches, Brooke Castillo and Stacey Bayman. Those were like the three people that I really studied how to market, how to develop a business, how to network, how to do all of that stuff. And You want to also check in with yourself, like where do you have limiting beliefs? And in listening to especially coaches who are in the dismantling limiting belief business, I like to think, I started to see a lot of what I had been taught in the past and how wrong it was. So I was taught you have to work hard to make money and you have to work harder to make more of it. That is not true. Oprah doesn't work 2 billion times harder than me. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. It's about adding value and she creates more value for a larger audience, right? Which is why she's worth more. Um, Believing that you have to exchange time for money. Also not true. Finding people that have a different business model that's more scalable and starting to study that. Learning that working for yourself doesn't have to be financially insecure or unpredictable. I have the most predictable business. I've built it that way very strategically. But last year, I knew exactly how much money I'd make starting in January. Like my goal for the year was half a million dollars. I knew exactly, and that is exactly where I ended up, half a million dollars. And I knew that at the start of the year, not the end of the year, because 
I've learned to do the same exact things in my business. I post on social media. I constrain to certain platforms. I do monthly webinars. And if you take a consistent amount of action and you don't change what works, you get consistent, very predictable results. So starting to see the things you've been taught about growing a business or starting a business and seeing, does that belief serve me? Does that belief not serve me? And if not, learning from people that might have different beliefs. Wow. I think that's extremely powerful and such a good starting place because I just really think when I look around and I'm I'm sure that you are triggered by this and this motivated you as well. I look around and I just see a lot of unhappy people, you know, or or, they might not even be aware that they're unhappy. Like they might not be accepting. They may be limiting their own belief about what happiness is and stifling those feelings. Um, but you said early on, you know, I started figuring this out for myself and it was like, you know, a golden ticket to happiness. And I want to share that with everybody. Um, and you have to start with what are your ultimate beliefs about yourself, about your capabilities. Uh, and so that's, that's really great advice. Um, so if people do one thing this week, I think they should spend five or 10 minutes thinking about, you know, what they ultimately want and what thoughts they're having on a regular a, a regular basis that may be holding them back from that. Um, totally. So you made that leap. And can you talk to us about what the first year out there was? Because I know, again, thinking about professional women, especially, um, or women that are working hourly jobs that are looking to make a big change and are really fearful about you know, how to cobble together that first year? What did that look like um, for you? Yeah. So I teach my clients, there's four ways to do it. One is to stay where you're miserable. Highly don't recommend. (laughs) Two is to continue working full-time and build something in your fringe hours if you want to start your own business. That would not have worked for me. I had the theory of going back to the criminal defense firm and building this coaching business. And like I... You have to know yourself. If you can be multi-focused and that works for you, by all means, I'm pretty myopic and I actually like that about myself where I like to be fully focused on one thing. Having a full-time job and building something on the night, you know, on the weekends or at night really wouldn't have worked for me. So that's one option. And obviously it will take you longer to build something that you can then jump to. Uh, You can quit and just go all in on a new business with no supplemental income, or you can do ultimately what I did, which was supplement my income with contract work. So I left my last law firm very abruptly, just as it was in law school. It was also very rocky and financially unstable when I went back there after big law. And me no longer being a people pleaser after finding coaching, I had pretty strong opinions and very good ability to advocate for myself. So I wasn't as tolerant as I had been when I was younger. And I don't know that they were expecting that. I think they were expecting old me. And here I come back like much more confident, much more sure of myself, much more opinionated. So the writing was on the wall pretty quickly. And I left with no game plan after not being paid for quite a while. And uh, was very, very broke. I always tell people I wasn't cute broke. I wasn't like fun broke. I was just broke broke. And three weeks after I left, I saw a position for a contract role as a coach. 
and working for my business coach. And I saw it and I said, that's my job. This job was like meant for me. This timing's perfectly aligned. Had I still been working at the firm, I probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't have had the bandwidth to apply and make room for that. And it was very minimal hours. The pay was great and it was very part-time. So it didn't interfere with my ability to build my business. I applied out of, I don't know, 70 people or so. I got the position and it was incredible because I was able to supplement my coaching skills and get more experience, which definitely helped me. I think one of the things people struggle with in the beginning is building that self-concept that you are this new career, that you have this capability to help people. So I started getting experience coaching and it was for my business coach. So I had joined her program that teaches you how to build a business. This was in the... I started working for her in the fall of 2019. I joined her program in the spring, like March of 2019. Watched some of the module videos, studied a little bit, didn't apply any of it. Mainly because I was still in my own head about social media and putting myself out there in front of people. And I thought I knew better and that what she taught was kind of stupid and that I could figure it out on myself. Just my ego getting in the way, right? And... I started, I get the job to work for her and I start coaching people on her methodology. And the people I'm coaching started to make money. And they'd come back like day after day and get more coaching and then they'd make more money. And I saw their growth and finally I was like, huh, maybe she knows a thing or two. Maybe she's onto something here. So I finally got really humble with myself and realized I had an aversion to doing it her way because it felt foreign and scary. And I really hated feeling like embarrassed or exposed in front of other people. And I made myself a promise. I said, whatever happens, you will not quit. And I'm willing to be bad at this for however long it takes for me to figure out how to do it. And I started taking action, implementing what she teaches. So meeting people, telling them what you do, adding value ahead of time on social media, making offers. And sure enough, as soon as I got out of my own way and started implementing what she taught, I started making money pretty fast. So the first couple months with no game plan and no savings were rocky. I settled into the reality that that's the way that I chose to do it. And I didn't want to go get another nine to five law firm job. And I knew that in the short term, it'd probably be rockier than if I did. But in the long term, I trusted myself to build something and to make it work. So I was willing to weather the storm. And when money started to trickle in, it was really started taking action like January 2020. And by April of 2020, I was making money. And then it just started to get exponential. April, you know, May was better than April, June was better than May, July was better than June, and over and over and over again. And by March of 2021, I was fully booked with a full client. Wow. So in my first year, I made six figures and which was just incredible, like through the internet during a pandemic via Zoom and Instagram and LinkedIn, which was just really wild. And from there. So my first year, I made over 100K. My second year, I made a quarter of a million. And my third year, I made half a million dollars. And this year, my goal is a million dollars. I love it. I mean, that's incredible. 
truly, truly incredible. Um, do you think that, and I know this is impossible for everybody, it's just not realistic for all people, but do you think going that route and taking away the opportunity cost, right? Because if you're working, there is an opportunity cost to that with your time, your energy, your thought process, and your ability to capitalize and move the ball forward. Do you think taking that out really helped you grow faster and a more aligned way? For sure. And I think part of the reason that it helped so much is whatever identity you lead with is what will grow. So when I was back at the criminal defense firm, in my mind, I really wanted to do both, practice criminal defense and coach. And I went out one night for a bite to eat. I go out to eat by myself a lot. I'm an only child, so I'm very used to being on my own. And I was at a bar having a burger and like a beer. And this guy's sitting next to me and he starts a conversation with me. And he says, oh, what do you do? And I was still very shaky about the life coaching aspect of my identity. So I didn't mention that. And if I ever did have the courage to mention it, it was always like, oh, I'm a criminal defense attorney. And I'm also a life coach, like in parentheses, right? So I didn't even tell him that. I just said, oh, I'm a criminal defense attorney. And he goes, no way. I just got a drunk driving. I kind of need a lawyer. (laughs) And I was like, oh, he goes, can you represent me? I'm like, sure can. Here's my card. You can call me tomorrow. We'll set up a consultation. And I went home and I had already known that in order to build a business, you need to meet people, tell them what you do and make offers to help them. But whatever you lead with grows. And I was leading still with being a criminal defense attorney and it was growing, right? I didn't want another criminal defense attorney client. I wanted a life coaching client. But in order for that to grow, you need to lead with it. And when people are still in a full-time job, your main identity is normally still aligned with that full-time job. And then you're treating your new future, your new venture as a side hustle. And I know one of our mutual friends, Sherry Bellitz, when she was getting her business off the ground, she referred to it as a side hustle. And I said, you're never allowed to call it that ever again. So long as you think think of it as a side hustle, that's all it will ever be. And now we have a saying, she always jokes with me. She's like, no side, lots of hustle. I'm like, get it, girl. It's awesome. But you have to step into it being your main thing, even if it's not your main income provider at the time. I think it's easier to do that with contract work. And Mm -hmm. contract work, the other reason that I love it is it doesn't put you into scarcity either. When you just quit your job and you go all in on building your business and you have no money coming in, you start to panic. Because even if you have savings, now I didn't have savings, but if you have savings, you slip into that mindset of like, you're just watching that balance go down and down and down and down. And it's like, when am I going to start making money? I need to start making money. I have to start making money. And it's got like, it's bad cologne or bad perfume. It's just got this desperate graspy energy to it. And it makes it very hard to sell effectively. So if you can create some financial sufficiency for yourself with some contract income, you put yourself in a much better position to start to market and sell from a place of desire, not from a place of desperation or need, which makes it a lot easier to make money. And finding that right client, right? Yeah. Because there's loads of bad clients that are not good for you. And when you're desperate in that scarcity, and hey, I'm not judging that at all. It is a natural 
feeling, a natural phenomenon that even the most successful people have experienced. But that is how you get trapped with the wrong clients. Absolutely. Um, It is a very freeing ability to say, I don't want to work with this kind of person because they are going to X, Y, Z, drag my energy, you know, not pay me timely, whatever the case may be. I, I see that in law firms all the time. I see that on the insurance side, which is where I've been. Um, it's just really easy to fall into that. Um, so that's good feedback for people um, in moving forward because you do want to build with a solid foundation of clients um, that are going to make you feel good because ultimately you're. it's hard to un, untwist your career and your life and they have an impact on each other. Um, if you're working with a bunch of people that you can't stand and you're just doing it for money, you're not going to feel any better than you were working at the big company or the big law firm. My cousin started a business uh, about a year and a half after I started mine. And she is actually getting certified to be a coach as well. But she does more uh, marketing strategy, Facebook ad, funnel strategist kind of things as far as advertising and marketing goes. And one of her, I think it was her first client when she started her business was not an ideal client. And mm-hmm. it created the same dread-filled experience that she had when she worked in corporate America. She was an insurance broker. And I remember like, she was in tears with me one day just talking about how much she hated her business because... It was her main client in the very beginning that she was doing all this work for. And it was such an unpleasant experience. Like You'll create the same exact experience that you had in corporate America if you're not careful. So you want to make sure, is this person a good fit? And sometimes you got to get rid of a client if you find out like, oh, they're really not a great fit. I just did that for the first time in several years of owning my own business. I was like, we're not a great fit. And it doesn't serve you or me for us to keep working together and neither of us should dread this relationship. So you want to make sure you're making aligned decisions and that you have the the wiggle room. Um, Adam Grant teaches this. It's called strategic pessimism. And then my business coach, Stacy teaches strategic money pessimism where you always keep enough on hand. So you can make some decisions like mm-hmm. that. And I think having some contract income in the very beginning allows you to be agile and strategic about who you take on, who you work with, so your business doesn't feel punitive. Yeah. And and do you see that a lot of people, when you have that identity issue, you know, going back to your story about meeting the guy at the restaurant that you lead with, um, you know, I'm a lawyer. Do you find that that's a pretty hard, big title identity that people have shaking? Huge. It's massive. Yeah. And... If you think about all the reasons that people pick that, like, yeah, we want to help people, but you also learned that being an attorney is a prestigious career, right? And that people look up to... Now, once you're in it, maybe you, you know, the fanfare and the the sheen wears off a little bit, but people still revere attorneys. I grew up in a very blue collar neighborhood and I'm oftentimes the only lawyer that people know. And when they hear that I'm an attorney, like they introduce me that way to people, you can tell they're impressed by it. So we learn all of that growing up, we're conditioned to it. So there's some prestige 
that comes along with that title. There's some respect that comes along with that title. And for me, switching to something that like you don't need a... not a professional degree. You don't need a graduate degree for, right? Like I'm certified as a life coach. You don't have to be certified to be a coach. But switching to something that is much more non-traditional than a doctor or a lawyer. You know, my mom used to talk to me like that. She's like, pick one, med school or law school. And I know a lot of people got that growing up or, you know, an accountant or an engineer like might also fit within that. But people have a really hard time shaking that identity. They really care about what are people going to think of the next thing I choose, especially if it's something that's more non-traditional. And if you're walking away from the law, you're probably moving towards something that's a little less traditional or a little less quote-unquote prestigious. Now, I teach my clients to redefine prestige. Like me, prestige now is working a four-day work week and making more money. For me, prestige is being able to work anywhere in the world and not be tied to Michigan in winter. Like that is prestigious as hell for me. But other people, (laughs) prestige means... I have extra room. Come on down. You can work here. (laughs) Sign me up. Winter is phenomenal here. (laughs) Yeah. I'm over the snow and I don't need to be here anymore. So this is probably the last winter I'll be in Michigan. But that's how I define prestige now. But it took me a while to shake. And I find that it's a huge thing for a lot of my clients to shake too, is that identity of someone who's revered or respected for the title that they have. Yeah. I mean, I was honestly just talking about that to somebody recently because I shifted my traditional business from big corporate world into funneling that technical skill and knowledge towards small and mid-sized businesses in my uh, current company. And it has been a hard pill to swallow, honestly. Even for me, who I, I, I have tremendous love and respect and I hold my own self in a high regard. I don't really need that external validation. Um, but I was just telling somebody that, you know, I went from Fortune 500 working on billion-dollar projects and everybody in the industry, you know, niche space knew who I was. And then I come down here and honestly, some of the small business owners just don't care. They're like, I just need you to make take care of this. Just get it done. And um, and it was a little deflating sometimes. It's like, but don't you know what I've done? Don't you know who I am? No, they don't. And they don't care. Um, and so, you know, I found that when I pivoted out of law firm as well, that, um, I mean, it still benefited me in the corporate world to be a licensed lawyer. So I would still lead with that some that I was a non-practicing lawyer. But uh, I remember when I was making the switch, it really was hard for me to think I went to law school and I'm not going to be a practicing attorney. Um, so I just find, like you said, I mean, I, I can only imagine a doctor, especially some kind of specialist who went to school twice as long as us, um, how difficult that would be. Uh, and I... And I highlight that so people will have, like you said, the awareness, the awareness of what is holding you back is the first step. And if you're too tied to that identity, you're really going to have a hard time moving forward and progressing. So just be aware of what you're feeling about yourself and the kind of stumbling block that that will be for you. Um, Because if you're not happy and you're not satisfied in your career, don't keep the title 
and have all this shit in the background. (laughs) You got to let it go, girl. Got to let it go. The other thing that was really transformational for me, so I wasn't taking action in the beginning and it was because I was still caring way too much about what other people would think, right? And people that I got certified with at the same time in 2018 they were making money in 2019. And I was making $0 in 2019 because I wasn't taking any action. And it finally clicked for me. I was like, what's the difference between the two of us? And maybe arrogantly, I was like, they're not smarter than me. That's not what it is. No, I'm not saying I'm smarter than them. But let's just say we all have equal intelligence levels. You can also tell from our conversations that we've had, I'm not that shy. I bartended for years. I can talk to anyone for any amount of time about anything. So like, I'm not introverted to the point where I can't you know, be personable and charismatic and all of those things. So it wasn't my personality, I didn't think, and it wasn't my intelligence level. So if they're making money and I'm not, what's the X factor? What is it? And I watch a lot of people think that it, there is some special X factor. And it's not. The only difference between people who are doing it successfully and you is that those people are willing to feel feelings that you're unwilling to feel. And when that clicked for me, I started to ask myself, I'm like, what feelings aren't you willing to feel? And it was so evident to me. I wasn't willing to feel exposed in front of other people on social media. And I wasn't willing to feel embarrassed. And embarrassed specifically because I assumed people thought coaching was stupid. And I tried like hell to coach myself to get to, you don't know what other people think. You have no idea. You're not a mind reader, Olivia. You don't know what they're thinking. I could not get myself there. In my bones, I believed that like, especially everyone has a quote unquote, they. For me, it was like a couple people that I used to work with that they thought coaching would be really stupid. And I finally got myself to the point where I was like, maybe, maybe they do. Are you going to let their opinions, these they's, are you going to let them be the reason that you don't make millions and millions of dollars like these other coaches you know? And I finally just said, all right, what if you gag? I use the phrase gag and go. What if you just gag and go through the discomfort and feel exposed and embarrassed? Let's assume some people think it's stupid. Let's assume some people think it's not. And you just go for it. And you're willing to feel all the feelings. And I, that's when I started taking action. And that's when I started making money. And being able to identify that at every stage now of like, what feeling do I have to be willing to feel? And that's the only ticket for entry to be successful with this. You have to be willing to feel frustrated and keep showing up. Confused and keep showing up discouraged, defeated, disappointed, and keep showing up, exposed, judged, misunderstood, all of it. It's just a feelings game. But that's totally within your control, which is so cool. Well, I'm getting all the feelings right now, Olivia. I want to jump in and like give you a hug, truly. And to your point on that, and I'll share this, um, my husband is probably going to listen at some point. Uh, and this is not negative. I'm just going to tell it really, really real and really transparent for whoever is listening that this is helpful for. But you said, you know, you were worried about the they. I probably have some they's, but one of the biggest they is my husband. He just cannot understand doing something different that's really different that he hasn't been around, that he hasn't seen, that he hasn't experienced. Um, And so what I realized, and it's a little tough, like I'm a people person. I want this real connection. I don't just walk around with a bunch of acquaintances. I like 
real connection with people. Um, so occasionally it does bum me out a bit um, that I just can't have that excitement with my husband, but I just realized his brain works different and that's okay. He doesn't love me any less. He doesn't support me any less. He is the most supportive. God knows he makes a bunch more money than I do and has a way more interesting, difficult job than I do. Um, and he takes our kids to school. He does the morning stuff. He does a lot of stuff to make sure I can do what makes me happy. So it's not about that. He just doesn't understand. So what I have decided to do is for the most part, I don't talk to him about what I, where I'm going because then it gives me that bad juju, those bad feelings. Like maybe I can't do it. Why doesn't he understand? Um, for me, it's not about that. I've just realized he just doesn't understand and that's okay. So I have started, you know, moving into that space. Well, bolstering myself up and just really relying on me and having the self-awareness and love and worth and within myself and then finding other people yeah. that, like you said, are doing what you want to do or have something to add to the conversation or, or a bit of a more dreamer open mm -hmm. to that. Um, so for those out there who are relying on a best friend, a sister, a brother, a spouse, whoever, don't be upset when they don't get it. Yes. It's okay. It just, it, you know, not everybody is going to get it. That's it. It's period. That's why, you know, 90% of the people are working in a traditional job and 50% of those 90% aren't super happy. You don't want to be that. You're trying to get away from that. You're trying to find ultimate happiness and fulfillment in what you're doing and how you spend your time in your life. And not everybody's going to understand that. Just keep going. And if, if, if it bothers you to get what you perceive as negative feedback or not hearing the words and the way you want to hear it, find somebody else that's going to give you the feedback, but you can't let it hold you back. Totally. I always tell people, you don't need their support. You don't need them to get it. Would it be awesome if they did? For sure. Would it be lovely? Absolutely. You just don't need it. And I had the same, I'm not married, but I'm an only child. I'm very close with both of my parents and they did not get this. They still don't completely get it. They get it more now. And in the beginning of the pandemic, right when my business was starting to take off, I was really getting traction, but I wasn't really making you know, money yet. My dad and I had this idea, I was making these headbands for nurses for the masks. So they're like ears don't get tired. So they wouldn't get headaches. One of my good girlfriends is uh, an ICU nurse. So she really got bombarded and I learned how to sew and I was making these things for her and her fellow nurse mates. And my dad gets the idea that instead of my business, I should do that as like a side hustle gig. And he got so excited about it. He started calling me like in the middle of the day. He's like, I'll buy you a sewing machine. We'll get you set up. You can like wake up at eight in the morning and just make these things all day long. And th there were Etsy stores for this already, but I'm sure there was a market for it at the time, right? And he just saw it as like a quick way for me to make... I don't know if you really went all in on it. Maybe you make a couple tens of thousands of dollars doing it if you can do it at scale. And I remember he called me twice in a day and he was like kind of frustrated that I didn't answer my phone the first time. And it was because I was on networking calls. I was doing social media stuff for my business. I was doing things. And 
I called him back at the end of the day and he's like, why didn't you answer? I was like, dad, I was working. And he's like, oh, you don't just like sit around and watch soap operas all day because he does not get work from home. He like, it does not register in his brain. I said, no, I've been like doing stuff all day long. And I finally, it clicked for me. I was like, oh, he doesn't get it. Like he doesn't believe in what I'm doing. He doesn't get it. And at that time, I was starting to see the impact of all of the action that I was taking. So I felt that my success was inevitable. Of course, he didn't feel that way. And I just said to him, it clicked for me. I was like, you don't get what I'm doing, do you? He's like, haven't the faintest idea. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I was like, I said to him, literally, I said, that's okay. I believe in what I'm doing enough for the both of us. And what I have learned, because I've been at it long enough, they'll come around. Now, they don't get it completely and they don't always know the right questions to ask about what I'm doing. But like I went to dinner with my dad the other night and I'm getting ready to do this in-person retreat as part of my group coaching program. And he asked me about it. And he's like, well, what do you do there? How many days is it? How long is it? What kind of planning? And that's questions he wouldn't have asked me three years ago. But he's seen it. He believes in it now. Like I had to believe first enough for the both of us. But everyone comes around. I had an aunt. She works for law school. She was one of the most negative people. If she listens to this, I'm sure she'll not love this conversation. But she was one of the most negative people about my decision to transition out of law. And she sends me clients now. Like they will come around. You just got to go first. Yep. And and remember, your dad was just trying to be helpful with his idea, right? He was out of love and sincerity. He wasn't trying to poo-poo what you're doing. Not at all. They just don't get it. They just don't understand. Um, and, and, and I re- try to remember sometimes it's like when I give unsolicited advice, I'm sure you do too. I'm not shy and uh, I'm a lawyer by background. So give a lot of advice. Uh, sometimes I give unsolicited advice to my husband and he will laugh and sometimes get frustrated. Like, I don't need that. You don't understand. And that's what I have to remember is like, no matter what I know about his business, I don't understand everything. Um, and it's the same. So, you know, most people are not trying to... Now, there are negative people that you can surround yourself. They don't want you to be that happy. Yeah. You need to find new people. Those people, you need I to fill go. them out and get rid of them. Yeah. I had those people at some point. Um, thankfully, my other wonderful friends saw them. I, I have like a strong loyalty to people. They saw the writing on the wall. And finally, after like three years, they were like, look, you got to get these. These people are not your people. And if 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 we're your people, then they're not. <laughs> yeah. so finally, you have those people that you need to get rid of them. There are people that don't want the best for you. There are. That they can't see happiness within themselves and they want to put all their poo, their crap on you. Um, but yeah, most people just want to help. And it's not their fault that they don't have the same worldview or experience that we have. Um, and that's okay. Correct. It's all good. So uh, the final question that I really want to ask your ask you to wrap up um, and then hear more about your um, coaching is, is there anything, I feel like I probably already have the answer for this now, but I'm going to ask you anyway, is there anything that the people that really know you well would be surprised that you might do in 10 years Mm. or five years? Yeah. So I do this thing in my own life. I call it goal stacking because I tend to want to do everything all at once. And same. 
that is a surefire way to do nothing ever because you're just constantly like half pregnant between choosing different options and then you never actually decide on anything and you never mm-hmm. actually do it. Um, so I have made a list of all of the things that I want to do and I like put them in different decades or in different portions of decades. And I don't know that I've told anyone this. My dad flies recreationally. He is a helicopter pilot as a hobby. And that is something, uh, I don't know that I want to fly helicopters. I want to learn how to fly an airplane. And I haven't spoken that out loud yet, but it's been, I keep seeing it more and more and more. I just watched uh, the Terminal Maverick on Amazon, I think. And like there was a woman pilot. I was like, that's me. I want want that to be one of the things that I do. So that's probably, that's not going to happen this year, but I'd say that's a five-year goal to get up in the air, start taking flying lessons. The more I scale my business, the more I make time for some of these other things in my life. There are other things that I want to do. Like I want to live in Italy for a while, but I think the people that know me would expect that to be a thing. I also want to get into politics later in life. Like in my 60s, I want to own a restaurant in my 40s at some point. So there are some things, but the the flying thing, I haven't told anyone. That's amazing. I love it. What I especially love about that is it's not restricted to anything like just in this one linear viewpoint, right? And that is what I just, I I feel like I was born telling people like, you can do that. Why can't you do that? You can do that. Your goals don't have to just surround, be surrounded in this one niche area of your life. Um, We're multifaceted and to have interesting things going on. Yeah. It's hard. You can't have it all. There was um, years ago, a blogger that I, uh, I think she's still out there. I don't remember her name, but the, the saying was spot on. You can afford anything. You can't afford everything. It's the same with doing things. You can't do it all today, but you can do it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can. I so agree. Just think about it and, and don't hold yourself back. The only thing that's holding yourself back is you. Uh, well, this has been awesome, Olivia. Tell uh, everybody a little bit more about The Less Stress Lawyer and then where they can find you. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a blast talking with you. This has been great. I work with clients in one of two ways. So I take clients one-on-one and we get into the nitty-gritty working on all those bad habits, people-pleasing, perfectionism, procrastination, figuring out what you want. And I teach people how to reverse engineer it. We create a roadmap to create whatever results you want. My thesis is really the point of working with me is A, to live a life with less stress and a lot more fulfillment. But ultimately, I want to help people create lives that they're obsessed with. That is the the mission and the journey that I'm on myself. And I'm a lot closer there than I was five years ago. I help people get a lot closer to living a life that they're obsessed with. So I work with people one-on-one. And then I just launched the second round of my group coaching program. That's a six-month program. It kicks off with an incredible in-person retreat. We meet for three and a half days in person. It's pretty bougie. It's very fun and super transformative. There's an amazing group of people and you get to learn from one another. And then we spend the next six months together in a group format working together. So those are the two ways to work with me. And if you want to follow along or learn more from me, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm at Olivia Vizacro, just my name. I'm on Instagram. My handle is The Less Stressed Lawyer. And you can tune into my podcast, The Less Stressed Lawyer Podcast. That's excellent. Well, you have been such a gem today, Olivia, like really sharing so much knowledge, wisdom. I have written down so many quotable 
uh, moments here that we've talked about. And I'm sure that this can bring so much value to everybody. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Guys, if you want to keep hearing this great guest, bring all this knowledge and wisdom, practical tools and tips and tricks for you, subscribe, get clear with Crystal Ware and check us out on our website to be ready to subscribe for the launch of our newsletter, crystalwaremedia.com. And until next time, you are made for more. So start living like it today. Let's get clear together. Thanks for listening in. If you loved what you heard, it would mean so much to me if you shared it with your friends. Tag us on social media so we can give you a big shout out. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want more, head on over to the website where you can learn all about what we do to serve and support our entire community. Until next time, keep dreaming big and getting clear. You are made for more. So start living like it today.